If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And when, whether one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Father, thank you for the word of God, that that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Lord, as we come to this time of the service, after we have sensed your sweet presence, may the word come alive in our spirit and our heart. May we receive the word. For those that are in this room, those that are watching from whatever location, Lord, would you cause your face to shine upon them. May your grace and your favor be abundant in their lives and in their hearts. We love your people, but nowhere near can we touch compared to the love you have for them. And God, we thank you for this word, and we pray that it will be a challenge and that it will be an encouragement to everyone that hears as the Spirit ministers to the heart and the ears of the hearer. We thank you and we praise you for these blessings. May your anointing rest upon your servant, I pray in Christ's name. And the church said, Amen. We asked a question last week and we're going to revisit again. What is a great church? Specifically, what characteristics should be present in what we consider to be a great church. Reality, we're not talking about our opinions on what a great church is, but what a great church is in the eyes of God. While every church, every local church has a different personality, spiritual DNA, and while every church has specific missions to fulfill, there are patterns that every local church should avoid that are contrary to Scripture. There are patterns as a church that are found in Scripture that we should strive to imitate. Charles Kahn 
a great leader, speaking of different personalities in churches, a leader in years past in our movement, and what a church historian he was. There was a time when he was doing theological education that he took a survey of pastors and students. And he wanted to ask them out of all the seven New Testament churches that the Apostle Paul wrote to, which church would they choose to pastor and which church would they least desire to be a pastor of. If you read the New Testament, you know there are seven churches that Paul wrote to. He wrote to the Roman church, he wrote to the Corinthian church, the Philippian church, the Galatian church, Ephesians church, Thessalonian church, the Colossae church, the Colossian church. All of the ones that surveyed after doing some research in all seven churches and their personalities, the survey came back really strong that the church that was chosen as their first choice to pastor, if they were given the option, would be the Philippian church. Because the Philippian church was such a giving church, such a mission-minded church. On the opposite side of that, the least chosen out of the students that were surveyed, they chose the, they, that they would least desire to pastor was the Corinthian church. Because even though the Corinthian church, where you find out about spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues, even though they claimed to be the most spiritual group, they also had a lot of integrity issues that were going on in the church. I want to be part of a great church. Not because I think it's great, but because God our Father, God our Judge, God our, the one that estimates, because He sees it as a great church. If you research the Antioch church from the book of Acts, chapter 11, that's where they were first called Christians in Antioch. You will find that they were a great church, and they were without a doubt a church that the Pulaski Church of God could emulate or pattern our ministry after with a guarantee that we would be pleasing in the eyes of our Lord. Last week in the first message, we, we determined that one reason the Antioch Church was a great church was that they were a grace church. In Acts eleven twenty three, when Barnabas came to Antioch, the Bible says he saw the grace of God and was glad. The first time there, we called him a first-time attender. And for the first-time attender attending the church in Antioch, he, he experienced grace that touched his, touched his heart. He saw a ministry surrounded by and filled with and built upon a foundation of true, pure, genuine grace. Not a cheap grace, a cheap grace that portrays just a, a simple prayer of salvation and then you, you just choose to continue to live a life of compromise and carnality and worldliness. And there is a lot that offer that in churches today. I just say a simple prayer. You don't have to change what you're doing. You don't have to change how you're living. But a true grace, a, a genuine grace is a grace that, that, that you walk through the door of salvation in Christ but at the moment that you walk through the door of salvation in Christ, you also close the door behind you on sin, and you're transformed into a new creature in Christ Jesus. Friend, that is true grace. Today, the second trait or characteristic that I want to talk about for a few moments 
that I believe defines greatness according to the Word of God in a church is the following. I believe a great church is a relational church. A relational church. Now let's peel the layers back on that for a little bit this morning. From the beginning, God has always had a desire to have a relationship with mankind. You find that in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. In fact, the Ten Commandments are, in fact, relational. Now, you may find that difficult to process. A lot of us think about the Ten Commandments, and all we believe is that they are a list of do's and don'ts. It reminded me this week of the the Sunday school teacher that was teaching her five-year-old class the Ten Commandments. And she was teaching specifically on the commandment that said, honor your father and your mother. And they had gotten toward the end of class, and she looked at the little five-year-old kids, and then she asked them as a point of review. She She asked the question, she said, what commandment helps you with your brother and your sister at home? And one child raised her hand quickly. She said, I know thou shalt not kill. (laughs) We look at the Ten Commandments as a list of do's and don'ts. But the reality is the Ten Commandments are all about relationship. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. The second six commandments of the Ten have to do with our relationship with man. So God in His Word is all about relationship. That's the Old Testament, but you go to the New Testament, and if you study the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was teaching all about relationships among people. In fact, Christ in the New Testament church is about relationship. For example, the church is the body and Christ is the head. The church is God's building and Christ is the cornerstone. The church is God's flock and Christ is the good shepherd. The church is the bride and Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the branches and Christ is the vine. Every one of us here, no exception, Every single one of us were created in the image of God, and we were created to be relational people. We were never intended to be islands to ourselves. We need each other. Somebody say amen. I'll say that again. We were never intended or created to be islands to ourselves. We need and must have each other. Relationships are what make a great church. Now, that doesn't make me codependent upon you or or you codependent upon me. The reality is, is that oh, my ultimate trust is in Christ. But yet there is a level of consecration to each other that happens and keeps us connected in the church of, of Jesus Christ. And if you look at the Antioch church in Acts chapter 11, you will discover that they had a relationship with the divine trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Antioch believers also also had strong relationships with each other. Now you say, well, what do you mean relationship in the church? What does that mean? You're preaching to us today. How do we, uh, how, how can we become relational? It's very simple to be relational. Relational is all about connectivity and spending time together. I'm telling you, believers are too busy today. Believers are not spending time 
enough with the Lord, and additionally, we are not spending enough time with each other in the body of Christ. Relationship means I'm going to treat you to lunch. Relationship means I will visit you in the hospital. Relationship means I will weep when you weep, and I will laugh when you laugh. Relationship means I'm going to dial the phone or shoot a text when I don't see you uh, for a couple of weeks. You need to, every one of you need to pray with your church family. You need to eat with your church family. You need to laugh and cry with your church family. Too many of us have, have become a survivor on a stranded island and you have buried the deep longing of companionship and fellowship beneath the rubble of pride and self-preservation and the Holy Spirit has sent your preacher by to tell you, you need the fellowship and the community of the believers. Why were they called Christians first in Antioch and not in Jerusalem? Now I'm going to get up close and personal here, so hold on for the ride. We say, I thought about that. I wrestled with that, Brother Turpin. I looked and I saw, they, they, you know, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1, that's where the, the church started. We say, well, that's where the, the blaze of Pentecost was, the, outer, the upper room outpouring. Why, why is the Word of God not calling them Christians first in Jerusalem, and instead it's, it's another nine chapters later in a different location, a different geography, a place called Antioch, miles and miles away from Jerusalem, and that's where they're first called uh, Christians. And, 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 and why, for the second week in a row, preacher, are you not talking about the church in Jerusalem and you're talking about the church in Antioch? But then it hit me this week uh, that uh, if you do the research, you will find that in Jerusalem, at least initially, the Jews looked down upon the Gentiles. The Jews looked down upon even the new believers. They didn't understand. They thought that, that you know, hey, just being part of the way was still got to keep our distance from those Gentile uh, people. But let me tell you, when you get to Antioch, you in principle and in habit, there was not only grace that made it a great church, but there was relationships with whosoever will. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, it didn't matter where they came from. It didn't matter the color of their skin. It didn't matter their socioeconomic status. When they called upon the name of the Lord, not only did they find a relationship with Christ, but they became part of the family of God. They were in relationship with other believers in the Antioch church. I believe that's why God called them Christians first in Antioch. Lord, help me here. <laughs> Look at this. And you can find this in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. This is Antioch's multicultural leaders. Verse 1. You can read it. Verse 1. Barnabas who's a Levite, Simeon, who is clearly a black man who was surnamed Niger, Lucius from Cyrene in North Africa, a man no doubt of color, Menaean, an aristocrat under Herod, a used to be higher up in a political regime, Manan has found Jesus and he's been welcomed into the Antioch church. And then you have the Saul, Saul of Tarsus, this fiery young Christian and former Jewish 
Pharisee. Man, when I looked at that this week, I thought, what a mixed bag of folks that made up the first church where they were called Christians, the church in Antioch. The scripture says they worshiped together and, and prayed together and, and they were in relationship together. Yeah, you see, we all we all want to be part of a great church. We do. We wanna we wanna be part of a great church until it's uncomfortable to be part of a great church. We want to be part of a great church until it's not convenient to be part of a great church. Look at your neighbor and say, hold on. You see, we all want from the Lord's prayer, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven until it challenges our core values. One day I was reading. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, and this is what it said. In heaven, they sung a new song. And this was the song. And Lord, you have redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. What that must be like when we all get to heaven. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. I may be in southwest Virginia, but I did come from the other side of the state. I have known what it's like to sit in a congregation with people of all color and all socioeconomic status, and I can tell you it's a beautiful thing. I can tell you if you want a little taste of heaven, you let this congregation become more multicultural. You let this congregation become, become more multi-diverse. You let poor people come up in here. You let wealthy people come up in here. You let the Democrats and the Republicans all sit together and lift up their hands to the Lord Jesus Christ who has made us one through his blood. That's when you'll find a church becoming like a church that is from heaven. I'll say amen or oh me. Let me be very candid. Because I think we have a great church. I think it's a wonderful church. You've put up with me almost three years. I think it's a great congregation. Honored to be here. But could we be a little greater? Are we there yet when 99% of our color skin in this body is Caucasian? that bounce back do you think we've been given a pass because we are overwhelmingly Caucasian are we there yet when we are 90% one socioeconomic status I want a little taste of heaven Hallelujah. I want a little taste of heaven. I'm telling you, I want the Lord to bring them in. Bring in the black man. Bring in the brown girl. Bring in the people of all color. I'm telling you, when one is washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what the color of their skin is. The reality is they're children of the Most High God. That's when we become the great church God has called us to be when we're relational with anyone and everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord. Well, praise God. Can the poor man and the rich man worship together? Can the blue collar and the white collar, the educated and the uneducated worship together? Yes. A resounding yes. Now let me get to my message. For a few moments, let me, 
talk about the reasons that God places all kinds of people in a church and challenges us to interact with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I know this is going to be shocking to you, but in this church, our church, not church up the corner, down the road, not up Bob White or Memorial, here, in our church, we have conflicting and competing personalities. I know you find that hard to believe. You're struggling with that. And yet God, by his providence, has brought us together in relationship as his body. <laughs> you see, you think you may have chosen to come here, but God knew you were coming here. Well, I don't know what brought you here or what caused you to stay. But God in his providence said, I've ordered their steps. They're not there by accident. They're not there by coincidence. They're there by providence. So he puts us all together. All these different kinds of personalities. And then he asks us to be relational with each other. And I began to think this week, what reasons would the Lord place competing, conflicting personalities all together, a melting pot of folks in the same body? What would be the reasons for it? Well, the first reason that came to my mind, my heart, the first reason that he puts us all together is to learn love. To learn love. That's why he put us all together. We have Adam's sin. We have Adam's stain upon us, so we, we were not born knowing how to relate to each other. And, and, I mean, we've had some help along the way. We attempt to learn interpersonal skills, and we get help from parents and teachers and society to assist us. But there is no greater than the love of God to help us gain appreciation for one another in our connectivity. We're in the lab of love, baby. Look at your neighbor and say, we're in the lab of love, baby. Love is a commitment. Love is a force. The God that we serve is agape love. He's unconditional love. And so what he does is, by his providence, he places you in the lab of love so that you can learn to love like he loves. Someone confesses to you a private sin, you're in the lab of love. It's a test. A brother is erring, veering off the straight and narrow, and God speaks to you to go and correct them. You're in the lab of love, friend. It is a test. Come on, now help me. Someone is down and needs encouragement. You are led to encourage, and it will be a sacrifice of time. It will take money. It will take effort. You are in the lab of love. Someone blesses you, you are in the lab of love. Someone curses you. Nobody curses in the church. We don't curse in the church, preacher. We don't believe in that. 
It may have never left your lips, but it's been up inside your head for a long time. Driving down the road and somebody cuts you off. And you substitute a word for what you really want to say. Come on now. You know, I'm, I'm talking to my family today. Someone says something to you in the body of Christ. Or they don't say something to you in the body of Christ. The way you handle it and respond to it is part of the test in the lab of love. <laughs> this is why in so many churches today, discipleship is absent. Why mentoring has taken wings is because we simply won't take the time and don't take the time to love each other. It takes relationship. It takes time. It takes, it takes patience. I guarantee you sprinkled across this room today are those who have not allowed this thing to really get a hold of them. You sneak in five minutes late. You leave five minutes early. You're seen and not heard. You're present and not active. And you really do not and, 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 and do not want to have a great connectivity. You just want to hear a few good songs. You want to hear a good sermon. But you know as well as I do, you're really not growing in your faith in Christ because you are only trying to maintain a vertical relationship. And the scripture clearly teaches that you need a horizontal relationship just as much as you need a vertical relationship. You need your church body, the body of Christ, as much as you need the Lord. It's not that you hate anyone. You just have deficient love, maybe even dead love, because there is no relationship to or with the body of Christ. What did Jesus say? He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Fellowship. Relationship. It's a key signal, an indicator to a lost world that we love one another. And therefore, we love lost and dying Satan wants you withdrawn from others. He wants you in a place of isolation. He does. Because he, he well knows that one of the conduits of your strength, your spiritual strength that you receive from the Lord comes through the love and the fellowship of the family of God. Somebody help me preach there. I'll be straight up. I'll tell you that's one of the, one of the biggest drawbacks of this COVID thing that's going on is I just can't reach out and embrace like I want to. I can't handshake like I want to. We think everything comes directly from heaven to us, only from on high. But I guarantee you that there are times that God chooses not to drop something on you from on high, but he chooses to bless you through the connectivity of your brother and sister in the Lord. Where two or three agree is touching any one thing. Where two or three are gathered in my name. We've got to have each other. And more than ever before, we've got to brace up and square up and say there's no pandemic that's going to keep me disconnected from my church family. I need relationship. The God of this world has blinded so many they don't even see the disconnect. I mean, love is a gift, but love is also a learned behavior. 
So welcome to the lab of love, baby. The second reason God has a melting pot of people in his church is to build muscles. Build muscles. A lady went to work at a church. After a few days, she walked out and left a note for the pastor. She said, this place is not a church, it's a zoo, and I quit. Maybe that lady heard about another secretary at another church that answered the phone one day. The person on the other end of the phone said, may I speak to the big hog? Sir, we do not disrespectfully talk about our pastor like that. The person on the other end said, I'm sorry, ma'am. I was calling to tell him I was going to make a big donation to the church. She said, hold on, sir, I hear the big porker coming now. I wouldn't liken the church to a zoo, but I would liken it to a gymnasium. In a gym, you have resistance training. Resistance training prevents weakness and flabbiness. People provide resistance in the church. In a, in a gym, you have endurance training. It gives you the ability to crash through walls of giving out. Any runners in the room can appreciate there's a wall that must be broken through when you're running long distance. Endurance. In the church, challenging relationships give us the ability to crash through life's walls. People help us develop endurance. Resistance training and endurance. And then strength training builds us to be overcomers. So welcome to the real world. Born-again people are not perfect. They're not immortal or incorruptible. They can get on your nerves. They hurt your feelings. They make demands. They ignore your opinions. And sometimes, yes, people to follow Jesus can be downright rude. I like this. Old Irish saying goes like this, to live above with the saints we love. Oh, that'll be praise and glory. But to live below with the saints we know, now that's another story. And ain't that the truth? We're no different than the early church, though. Sometimes we have to agree to disagree. That's what happened in Acts 15. Barnabas and Paul went separate ways, and it ended up doubling the effects of the gospel spread. Sometimes we're on the receiving end of a stinging rebuke. That's what happened to Peter when Paul confronted him in Galatians chapter 2 about him and his bigotry, his inconsistent bigotry as it related to the Gentile people. Sometimes we're stung by the reality of rejection. Paul himself talked about in 2 Timothy 4.10 and, and 2 Timothy 4.14 about how he was a victim of evil people People that had forsaken him. Demases in the church. Alexanders in the church that will do you evil. What I'm telling you is don't waste your woes. If God would just help us to understand that he puts contrary people in our path to help us grow in our character with Christ, 
you got to be like Joseph. When his murderous thoughts, after murderous thoughts and selling him into slavery and throwing him into a well, he said to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God turned it around for my good. The question's not, will you have heavy relationships? The question is, is will you use these difficult relationships to make you stronger? A little transparency here. I am no doubt difficult for some of you. There's no doubt. And I guarantee some of you are difficult for me. But God is using all of us in one another's lives for the upbuilding of character in Christ. (laughs) The 12 Jesus had, man, I'm telling you, when you look at some of the stuff they did, you wondered if they were saints at all. After he called them. He had dominants and influencers and steadiers and compliance. He had phlegmatics and sanguines and melancholies and cholerics. He had introverts and extroverts. He had the soft-spoken and he had the loud mouths. All in his disciples of 12. But you know what? With the exception of one, all were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost because he didn't turn his back on relationships. He had a mother who pondered his miraculous birth in her heart, but she was demanding at weddings, and along with his brothers thought he was out of his mind on more than one occasion, and yet they too were in the upper room after he ascended, all because he did not turn his back on relationships. I find nowhere in the Scripture where there is biblical grounds for you to hate anyone if you're a child of God. I have found nowhere in Scripture, well, I'll tell you right now, I don't hate them, but I sure ain't going to talk to them. I'm not going to call them on the phone. This may be for someone here today, the Lord is trying to save you from a life of regret because you never know, that person may be getting ready to transition into eternity. They may be getting ready to go away from here because every day could be a moment of destiny, mortality, eternity. God may have just sent, I feel this in the Holy Ghost, God may have sent your pastor by to just tell you, it's time for you to lay it down, pick up the phone and just say hello. And you were thinking about him and you wish him well. Here's what I know, and I know this from personal experience. Some of you are here today because of God's touch in your life. But it wasn't in an altar encounter. But God touched you through a tough relationship, a bruising personality that drove you to your dependence upon His Spirit. Our characters are developed not because we fall out in the Spirit, but because we fall down in brokenness before the Lord 
And in that, God empties us of ourselves, and he fills us with his love and his grace. This is where I stop, and I say thank you. Thank you to each and every one of you, individually, no matter what our relationship is. I'm growing spiritual muscles. I'm being conformed into the image of God's only Son, Jesus Christ. So to God be the glory and to you be the thanks. You will waste your life in frivolity. Cares that really don't have that much value if you're consumed every day with always living rejected. Love unconditionally. So God has put us together as a great church body to learn to love, to build spiritual muscles, and finally, to make disciples. Getting ready to close. You thought you came today to just hear some great music and hear a word and feel the presence of the Lord, but you're called to disciple. All of us are called to disciple. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it wasn't just given to pastors. It was given to every one of us, a commission. And you cannot make disciples without relationships. There has to be a connectivity. John Maxwell says you you impress from a distance, but you impact up close. He also said something that's kind of my mantra. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You can profess to be that light in the workplace, but if you're not willing to invest in relationships to touch someone for Christ, are you really being effective? Great church. Oh, we have a great church. A year from now, it doesn't happen overnight. But I'm praying the Lord will start to leaven this body with people from different races. I'm praying the Lord will leaven this body with drug addicts and alcoholics. We all were there. All of us, at some, we got, all got a story. We all got a closet door that we don't want to open. We all got skeletons. Is it possible to be so far removed from our salvation experience that we lose sight of someone that could be in the very same position we used to be in? God, leaven. Sin leaven. Mix the ingredients in. Ah, yes, it's going to... It's going to stretch our, uh, the, the lab experiment of love. It's going to, it's going to make us uh, endurance. Sometimes we have to grit our teeth. Sometimes we have to train harder. Those people can be difficult. A great church is a relational church. 
Are we a great church? I think we are. Well, God, doesn't God think all churches are great? Well, go to the book of Revelation. You'll find out he didn't think all them churches were great. He looked at the church at Ephesus. He said, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this, but you've people been going through the motions. You've left your first love. And that's me. I wonder what, have you ever thought, man, I have a great church. Some of you have been in this church for 40 and 50 and 60 years. Some of you have been here just a few months. But if, if you could hear the audible voice of God, you know what your opinion is about your church. But if you could hear the audible voice of God, what would he say about our church? Would he say we're a great church? I hope so. Can we be a greater church? I do believe we can. bow your heads with me. There's no greater relationship than a personal walk with Christ. A man came to Jesus at night. Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And I want to tell you, listening to me this morning, via live stream listening in the sanctuary when you stand before God as great as relationships are within the church when you stand before the Lord he will ask not about your connectivity in the church he will want to know first and foremost did you have a relationship with his son Jesus Christ I'm telling you right now there will be church attenders that will miss heaven there will be members on church rolls that will not get into glory. You say, Pastor, I'm religious. I'm telling you, religious people will miss eternity with Jesus. Deceived more than the addict, the alcoholic, the prostitute will be the one that comes to church week after week but never made or did not keep their personal commitment and relationship to Christ. I have a friend of mine, every time I call, when I get his voicemail, it always ends with this. Remember, it is not about religion. It is a relationship that matters with the Lord. There's no need in dragging it out. There's no need in taking a lot of time here. If you're here this morning, in this moment, no matter what the past has looked like, whether you've never had a relationship with the Lord or whether you have had in times past, but you do not today, you would say, Preacher, I do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ this moment while no one is looking around and everyone is being reverent to the Holy Spirit. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? Anyone in the room? Father, it is my heart that every person in this room is being honest with you right now. Every single soul. Lord, I believe you're coming back. If there's ever been a season that grips the urgency of our time, the prophetic time clock is ticking, seems to be quicker than ever before to your soon return. 
Lord, there's going to be those that are going to stand before you one day, and they're going to say, Lord, we prophesied in your name. Miracles came through the laying on of our hands. And you are going to look at them and say, depart from me because I never knew you. In other words, you didn't have a relationship. I didn't have a relationship with you. You didn't have a relationship with me. I knocked at your door, at your heart's door, many, many times. And you turned me away time and time again. Father, I pray this word has lodged deep within someone's heart today. I pray for the Pulaski Church of God. Lord, leaven us. Start mixing in the ingredients to take us to a new level of greatness. Not numerically, not financially. We, Lord, we, it's, it's not even about our reputation. It's simply about making disciples and loving people as you love them. Strengthening our character in Christ, even with challenging personalities. God, help us to let our light shine. Would you stand with me this morning? Brother Rick comes, one of our elders, to dismiss us in prayer. Let me just say how much we love you. We appreciate you, our ushers. They'll be at the doors going out for tithe and offering. And again, we ask you just in cooperation uh, with our with our or, the ordinances that are in front of us just to dismiss with the back row first and the front row last, if you would, in that respect. And may you have a great, great week in the Lord. I love you. I love you. We love each other. Thank God for the body of Christ. God is good, amen. Amen. I can say firsthand that I'm very thankful for this church. And there's several people, most of you know who you are, that's been very pivotal in my walk the last couple of years. So pastor's on money with what he's talking about. I think it's about discipleship. Not only are we supposed to be disciple, we're supposed to disciple others. Like he said in Matthew, it says, go and make disciples of many men. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today and give you praise, God, in advance. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this church, God. And I pray that you would continue to help us grow closer together. God, I pray that you would be with everybody here through the rest of the day. Keep us all safe. In the name of Jesus, amen.